Welcome to the Orange Silicon Valley BistroCast, the podcast about what's new, what's coming, and what connects people in the world of tech. I'm Brian Warmoth, the content lead at Orange Silicon Valley. Today, I'm joined by Nicole Dahlstrom and Rebecca Story. Nicole is the founder of Femtech Collective, a networking group that has been a great partner in our continuing Women in Tech event series at OSV. Rebecca is the CEO at Bloomy, which is a marketplace for clean, intimate care products. So first, Nicole and Rebecca, thanks for coming on the podcast today. It's great to have you. Today, we're going to talk about the state of femtech, what it means, and why both of you see opportunities in the space. So maybe I can start off by just introducing you and letting you tell your stories along with how you understand what femtech is. Uh, Nicole, maybe start with you. Since femtech is in your organization's name, Mm -hmm. can you tell me how Femtech Collective came into existence and how you define femtech as a category? Yeah, um, thanks for having us. I really got started off in femtech the same way that so many founders in this space get started off. I was dealing with my own health problems. And from a young age, I was not really able to maintain my my feminine health very well. I didn't have a female figure that was kind of guiding me through that. And so I was struggling with recurring bacterial vaginosis actually for a long time, not knowing what it was. And I thought it was a yeast infection uh, at first. And so I tried like Monistat and that was just an awful experience and kind of set the tone for a long line of trying different products that just didn't work at all like douches and sprays and wipes and just awful things. <laughs> and can, I, can I ask what your reference set available to you was? What, where were you going for help? How were you figuring out what to try? Honestly, like the drugstore aisle at like, you know, Walmart. I mean, there wasn't a lot of resources available at this time when I was growing up. And sex ed did not teach me mm-hmm. about bacterial vaginosis. I had no idea what it was. And until one day, actually, into my early 20s, I read an article I think it was from Glamour, and it was this woman telling her story, you know, suffering from the same symptoms. And that was when I first learned what bacterial vaginosis was, and it was like this revelation. And in the article, she was talking about how uh, she was using probiotics to really help with her symptoms, and that was like a light bulb moment for me because I was like, wow, I was already kind of interested in entrepreneurship. Um, I was actually freelancing uh, back in my hometown in Iowa at the time and yeah I just had this light bulb moment of like I could maybe do this I could maybe like create this product and at the time one of my longtime clients uh, another woman about my age was also very interested in this so we kind of paired up and we went in on this idea to create this product and she convinced me to actually make a giant leap and come out here to the Bay Area you know startup capital of the world Silicon Valley and I, I did it I moved out here and uh, we started working on the company. And over time, I just kept hitting these hurdles that I didn't really anticipate. I felt like I was like a competent person. I went to college. I, you know, was somewhat tech savvy. And so I was working on the website. I was working on getting the word out to customers because really what made us decide to launch was I had put up a landing page about the idea and the product. And we had like 50 women, uh, 50 people sign up right away to try the product. And so we're like, this has to be done. But then 
then after that, it was just hurdle after hurdle online and uh, being censored for trying to talk about, you know, just regular anatomy. And there was also this piece of women didn't know about their own bodies and probiotics at the time. Nobody was really talking about them. This was like 2016. And so... It seemed like there was yeah. such an opportunity online. Like, I was a big believer, and I was following a lot of influencers. Like, you can do it if you just get online and you just resonate with your customers. Like, you can build this business. Yeah. And that was just not the reality. And then I was feeling so frustrated, and, like, I was there was something wrong with me. I was not doing a good job. Yeah. And so one day I came across this event that was being hosted uh, here in San Francisco mm-hmm. by a women's networking platform called The Guild. Mm-hmm. And the event was titled Femtech, which I had never heard of. Femtech, by her, for her. And I was like, that sounds like my jam. And so I went to the event, and I was just talking to all these other founders, a lot of other women who were saying the same thing, and I felt, like, so validated. I was like, oh, it's not just me. I'm not just terrible at, like, trying to make Facebook ads or trying to keep my website up. Like, this is an industry-wide problem, and especially for women uh, creating products for women's health. And so uh, after that, and feeling kind of this renewed sense of energy and, you know, inspiration to keep going. I wanted to create more opportunities like that where we could keep those conversations going and especially um, bringing just everyday women into the room because this was around the time as well where, you know, we have our current administration coming into office and myself and a lot of the women around me were afraid of, like, losing access Mm -hmm. to uh, health care options and especially, like, affordable health care options. Started organizing this meetup um, and panel discussions and actually one night at one of the panel discussions, my teenage sister texted me from Iowa and she was like, hey, do you know, like, how do I get birth control? (laughs) And I was like, well, you know, duh, you just go to Planned Parenthood and just get it. You know, you don't even need to have insurance half the time. Mm -hmm. And then I remembered, wait, Planned Parenthood just shut down in my hometown in Iowa. In this big city, you know, we always had protesters outside of the Planned Parenthood, but finally it had just shut down. And so, like, and just trying to get my, you know, teenage sister resources Mm -hmm. actually happened to be that night there was a founder there um, on the panel, Sophia. Yen, Dr. Sophia Yen, uh, the founder of Pandia Health, that's her business. She ships birth control to people who need it, um, and she also does telemedicine, so you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to go into the office. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, you know, tell me your sister's address, like, I'll get her the birth control. And I was just like, wow, Femtech, like, this is, you know, this is so needed, and what's happening now in the industry is great, and it, there needs to be more. And so, you know, at the time, I don't want to say, like, oh, Femtech Collective was born because really had to give up on the probiotics business. We were not seeing traction. My co-founder had so many other projects at the time that she had to yeah. you know, step down. And so just had this big pivot of like, do I keep doing this business that mm-hmm. I'm just not making any headway? Yeah. Or do I start a community where mm-hmm. we could still achieve the same mission? Yeah. Um, and so then Femtech Collective Certainly was very, born. Certainly very related missions, absolutely. Well, yeah. Can you tell me what some of the most important conversations are that you've seen emerge from these meetings you've had? Yeah. Femtech Collective, what, what would you say are the most important conversations going on that you've seen? Yeah, I think, number one, like, just understanding how little women know about their health and how underserved the space really is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that we've never had innovation in women's health. Femtech is not this new thing. But the fact that we're looking at creating products from, the like, a female lens mm-hmm. and really designed specifically with women in mind and not just shrink it and pink it. Yeah. Um, and so, like... <laughs> Can you maybe stop there and <laughs> put a pin in that and explain what shrink it and pink it means when you say that? Yeah, so shrink it and pink it is, like, the... 
marketing term for making products women friendly, right? Yeah. Like, why does she need a regular size drill when she can have a small pink drill? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <I see. laughs> um, Rebecca, maybe this is a good time to turn to you on this. Um, how, how does the, the the way Nicole describes the state of fintech square with your understanding of it through your work at Bloomy? And maybe could you tell me a little bit about your story? Yeah. Well, I feel like she's shared so many great points to this, and like yeah. the fact that like her origin story is what I'm hearing now very closely related to the reason why a lot of us have started businesses mm-hmm. and like why femtech is growing because women are realizing that some of the women's health issues that they go through are mm-hmm. very common mm-hmm. and there are natural solutions or there there's innovative solutions mm-hmm. to fix and prevent these issues and health issues like BV and yeast infections and things like yeah. that. So, um, to answer your first part, first question about femtech, Bloomy is a marketplace where we have basically a full spectrum of products: mm-hmm. hygiene, menstrual care, sexual wellness, mm-hmm. and naturally in that you're going to get femtech sprinkled all throughout that. Mm-hmm. So, from my perspective, femtech is anything that is technology driven to help women's health. But the interesting side of that is I am kind of in this crossroads where I'm seeing that although there's a lot of innovation and there's a lot of tech in femtech, Mm -hmm. there's also this growing wave of simplicity and wanting to get back to the basics and organic ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so there's kind of a blend going on right now in the industry where um, there's, for example, like LV, let's take that as an example, the LV trainer. It's for pelvic floor exercises, um, and it's a technology device that you pair with your phone to Mm -hmm. do your exercises, but it was made with really great materials. And so women are now very health conscious, and they want to make sure that the products that they're using are as clean as possible. So um, for our marketplace for Bloomy, we focus on 100% clean items. So What do you mean by clean? What's that definition? Clean means, so we have a whole standard that we developed with a team of experts, and it means it doesn't have any vulvar allergens or toxic ingredients that research has shown can cause infections Mm -hmm. or um, really just shouldn't be in products that are meant for intimate areas of the body. Okay. And so, I don't know if that answers the whole yeah, question. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Yeah, I, I was just look, trying, wondering if that is that a medical definition? Is it a scientific? Or was it? Is it made yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say that, but you know, I was just, yeah, no, that you answered the question. But to, to also add, I, yeah. what's interesting is I am seeing some of the like bigger. Um, there's a bigger movement of clean now, mm-hmm. and you can see brands or in companies like Sephora or Target. They now have their own um, version of clean. It's not as strict as what we have, but it's a new wave where I think people are looking for um, as simple as possible, as healthy as possible yeah. in the products that they're using, especially in those parts of the body. It sounds a little parallel to me to what you see in sort of food labeling and different standards, of, yes. say natural, organic, yes. et cetera, depending on what the organization, what the government entity, what somebody says. But it, it looks like you're working with, with similar issues that they are with different standards in mind that are defined internally or in conjunction with 
do you have groups you work with? Yeah, so right now we are just, it was a, it's a team of experts yeah. that I helped yeah. put together with Bloomy. And the yeah. reason is because there is not a standard right now yeah. in intimate care, so we're the only one right now. So you have to take that initiative yourself we to do. figure out what you're communicating. Yeah. Yes, and unfortunately, a lot of what you see right now in the industry is there's a lot of greenwashing. Yeah. And so what that means is like somebody will put a label that says, you know, organic, but it's not certified organic. Mm-hmm. It's not 95% organic. It's yeah. just they'll kind of, they'll make it seem healthier or greener than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to kind of not fight that, but we're trying to avoid brands that are greenwashing by having yeah. really clear standards. And in order for us to sell you on our marketplace, you have to meet our clean criteria. What are some of the best examples of products that have found success on Bloomy? On our marketplace? Yeah. So some of our best sellers, um, which is interesting, it's a mix, like I said. Yeah. So Femtech, there's like the LV does really right. well, but some of the um, simple products like the feminine wash, which there's a whole issue with calling it a feminine wash, mm-hmm. the intimate care wash. Intimate Interesting. Okay. Um, menstrual yeah. cup, yeah. things like that. Period underwear. Yeah. Have you heard of period underwear? Uh, <laughs> I know exactly. I, I, I think I have ninety percent know what you're talking about okay. when you use those words together. But no, I did not know that was a product. Yeah. Uh, before sitting down at the table with you today. <laughs> yeah. So th- those are really popular because women, especially women and femmes, right now they're really into free bleeding yeah. and not necessarily using tampons or you know we carry tampons as well, like organic cotton tampons. Yeah. But those um, I know what those are. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. So. There's a whole there's a whole variety of products right now. Okay. Um, these questions are for either both of you. Maybe when you're looking toward uh, investors right now in growing businesses, what is the pitch for femtech as a category? Is it typically something that's packaged in with other dimension, other categories? Is it a subcategory of something else? Is it is it a multiplier when paired with other things? Because uh, talking to you, there, I, I definitely understand that it has meaning within health contexts, health tech, uh, med tech, I don't know, what have you, um, and consumer products. Is it something that's gaining traction with investors or only with certain investors? How would you assess this? Yeah, I'm sure sure we could. And, you know, when I launched Femtech Collective like two years ago, it was before a lot of people knew what the word meant. Mm -hmm. And nobody was saying Femtech would be a a part of their investment thesis. But now I see that mostly every day people are reaching out and saying, we're adding this to our portfolio. Who do you have? And so in that way, I know it's becoming more popular and more Mm -hmm. recognized. And I signed up for Google Alerts, you know, day one on Femtech. I got one alert, you know, my inbox about femtech every month and now i get a couple every day basically and so i do know that the industry is taking off i get a lot of outreach personally mm-hmm. and i think that the pitch mm-hmm. is it's sort of multi-layered uh, we have a lot of uh, recent trends that have led to like femtech's growth mm-hmm. and i think especially here in like silicon valley we had you know the me too movement is definitely mm-hmm. influencing investors and their firms to bring in more women and i was curious about that yeah if you could speak to whether or not that's been relevant at all to the to i think space. it's yeah it's super relevant because yeah. uh, firms are realizing like this is uh, this is gonna make us look good, mm-hmm. <laughs> number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this is a this is a super underserved area. And although yeah. we're hearing a lot more about femtech, it's still just early days. And I think um, you have you have customers with their hair on fire, if you know what that means. It's it's really like. Uh, these startups are creating these products that resonate so well with customers that the customers are going back to them and telling them what else they can sell yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> like, And from an investor perspective, 
you have to think about, okay, well, then less of their budget has to be spent on marketing and on building their brand because they've already done that and they've already resonated with their customers. You know, there's some startups within this space, especially in the sexual wellness space, who have built up newsletters of 10,000 plus women and have followers on Instagram in the millions because they've just told a story that has resonated with women. And I think from an investor investor perspective, that has to be very compelling that because I do think in in Silicon Valley, a lot of the, the marketing budget or a lot of the the investment made goes towards marketing and just scaling so quickly that so that everybody knows your name and you're you know you've got that base already but I think these startups are doing that already and they don't need to spend as much on that piece I see so is there anything you'd add to that Rebecca um so interestingly we were talking about this on the way here um but I am currently fundraising Mm -hmm. and in terms of like the literal pitch Mm -hmm. it's so interesting because um, Femtech is in addition to the industry that I would normally pitch. Mm -hmm. So I would pitch the intimate care industry and how many billions yeah. of dollars that is. But Femtech is, I believe, $50 billion right now yeah. in estimated value. And so I add that, basically, to my addressable market. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is um, these are numbers, and there's really good data behind it, but there's this wave coming, and I can see it because I have been approached by several investors at this point that... We were just talking about this, but several investors who want to pick my brain about femtech, and I have to be really careful with my time because I want to make sure that, yes, I want to add value to this industry, Mm -hmm. but as a founder, I'm also being really intentional with my time right now, Mm -hmm. and so um, investors want to know about femtech, especially Mm -hmm. men. Um, They they see that there's a financial opportunity. They see that there's been more investments lately in fertility, for example, and so they want to understand, okay, as me as a founder that has visibility to all of these brands, where do I see this industry going and what can I teach them? Um, so there is this kind of like hunger for knowledge of what does it mean and like yeah. why is it growing so fast and um, how can they add companies to their portfolio? So mm-hmm. there's definitely interest and I feel like when I started Bloomy, it was because I knew that I was having trouble finding high quality products. And as a consumer, I can also see that um, we have this change, this second wave coming where it's like that health conscious, eco conscious consumer Mm -hmm. um, and really seeking out um, products that are, you know, that have the leaping bunny or they're not hurting animals and they're made with organic ingredients. And so because I was having trouble finding those types of products, I knew that because there were these two waves of information coming, I could see that there was going to be a crossroads eventually where this was going to be also a good investment opportunity, not just an interesting shift in consumer behavior. Uh, I want to skip the next case, I think you, you sort of addressed the next thing I was going to ask you about, which was sort of the subcategories and where femtech touches in, in other spaces that, say, you know, investors look at um, in startups. Um, but it's interesting to me that you bring up the idea of the male investors turning around to this and beginning to have a learning experience about what is in femtech. What kinds of misconceptions and big questions do you encounter when you talk to men in the ecosystem, particularly, but not just men, but anybody, really. But I, I think it's particularly interesting in that context where you're talking about these experiences. Yeah. Well, I can share that yeah. when 
the first time that I did fundraising was about a year, a little over a year ago, and I did an angel round, and I quickly realized that there was a huge disconnect between the products that I was talking about mm -hmm. and what men understood about the menstrual cycle, about the arousal cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's just... These are issues that are, I mean, beyond tech and business, right? right? These are right. very root... Right. Disconnects. They're like they're they're part of our overall health. They're part of women's health, our mm -hmm. our own like overall well being. So I saw that there was almost this like shyness towards it where um, you know, I, I got that typical like response, well let me see what my wife thinks about this or mm -hmm. let me see what the female partners think about this because they huh. didn't feel I think confident enough to say that they really understood the products or mm -hmm. like what was happening in the industry which I understand to some extent but mm -hmm. overall I feel like now that some brands have grown to be very lucrative like Lola for example mm -hmm. everybody knows about the investments in Lola and now I think there's this new shift towards okay well what else is there there's there can't just be you know a tampon company like what else is out there and I feel like male investors are more open to it I feel like in general I've gotten more questions from male investors um, but it's definitely just a space that I think it doesn't really matter who you are now that there's this um, there's an interest financially, I feel like it's kind of like a race now to see who can bring under their wing the best portfolio in femtech. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, Rebecca. And I think that it's interesting from the investor's perspective, too, in femtech, because just because you say you're investing in femtech, what does that even mean? It's mm -hmm. such a broad category from, yeah, consumer, you know, direct, direct to consumer products to more medically focused products to wearables to things that don't even include technology at all that are just super innovative yeah. for women and for people who need these products. And so I think that there needs to be a lot of work on the investor's side to really get a sense of how can they really invest, not just fiscally, but resource-wise and expertise-wise into certain you know businesses and products within this space. What um, On top of these issues you're bringing up, what do you think the biggest education gaps are right now? And what do you think what learnings need to happen for the for these people looking to to understand the space? What, so, what are the yeah. what are the top one or two stories that you, you you'd sit down with any of these people who are, who are still figuring out what femtech is and what it means to invest in femtech? What would you tell them and what do they need to learn? Yeah, I would say the number one thing that I want investors to understand who want to work with me and the startups yeah. that I work with is that it's a long game. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to be done tomorrow. We don't have enough research to even do that. That's something that I kept hitting when I was building the probiotic business is that mm -hmm. there just hasn't been the research. And I was searching so long and so far for just one study mm -hmm. that could give me any information. And as a bootstrapped, you know, startup just working off of idea and inspiration, yeah. you can't afford to do these studies and you can't afford to order the minimum, you know, from manufacturers. And so just understanding, like, sometimes you do need to invest in these ideas. And I think it, it goes back to the founder, too, to realize, like, maybe VC isn't the first path for them. Maybe they need sure. to look to family and friends. Maybe they need to look to angel investors who are more receptive to going off of an idea mm -hmm. and not traction and not, you know, a, a minimum viable product. See, I, I would yeah. I would add, um, so a lot of the work that I did before I came into the startup space with sex education. Mm -hmm. And I was really, um, I still am like very passionate about mm -hmm. it. And I would say that the biggest like takeaway I would want investors to know is that 
there's so much more than just the reproductive space right now. There's more to, there's more than just fertility and pregnancy products. Like there's a whole space of sexual wellness Mm -hmm. that is underserved for many, many reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, How would you define that space when you, when you talk about that? Sexual wellness includes anything that helps, I'm talking about women and femmes, Mm -hmm. helps women and femmes basically enjoy sex or, um, enjoy arousal, Mm -hmm. enjoy pleasure. Sure, that makes sense. So it's like, it's, when we talk about sex, obviously there's more than just reproduction there. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the investments that have been made, it almost seems like it's skewed towards reproduction. It is skewed towards Mm -hmm. reproduction. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know. Why is that? Is it just because men understand that dimension better? I mean, as much as they're. If you take, if you take a look at the investments that have been made, Mm -hmm. who has made them, you would probably see a lot of parallel between white male investor and reproductive mm-hmm. investments. Okay. Now, yeah. I will say that it's changing and I have seen more female focused like micro VCs and like investors who are coming in earlier into okay. companies when there's ideas and that's amazing yeah. and I would love for them to contact me. <laughs> but um, you know, anything that has to do with sexual wellness is could be potentially a huge um, industry and I feel like if people spent the time asking the right questions, there's so much room for innovation in that space and we're starting to see a little bit of it um, with like for example arousal oils that have um, really great ingredients or CBD arousal products things like that I feel like even vibrators Mm -hmm. lubricants like there's so many things that are in sexual wellness that I feel like women and femmes are like becoming very interested in Mm -hmm. that is still I would call an underserved market well, and taking into account what's the actual experience for women and, and people who need these products, like, and buying them, mm-hmm. and how does that resonate with them? Because, you know, back in the day, you go into a sex shop, it doesn't feel very appealing. Like, it's kind of, you know, it's scary in a way. And, and now there's so many companies like the Bloomy who are creating a beautiful experience for their consumers. And I think, you know, just taking that into account, there's a whole business model piece that is innovative. And so what you're talking about are solutions that are coming about not only in finding the products. There's a whole universe such as what Bloomy is doing, connecting, bringing people from the journey of search to discovery of the products. And then there's a whole other universe of the products themselves on the yes. other end. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there any other, any other way you'd point to, uh, do you see other success stories coming about that would fall into other places on that map? Yeah, I think mental health. And that does tie back into sexual wellness Mm -hmm. as well, because I think they're very highly correlated, especially for, you know, uh, for women and and people who need those products, because it's, you know, there's a whole mental element. And I think that um, beyond that, you know, postpartum depression, I mean, it just mental health affects every piece of our of our whole health. It's very like taking this holistic approach, I think. I think another industry that I can see taking off in the future because it's still very underserved is menopause. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a few you know, innovations and products right now that are in that space, but um, menopause doesn't just happen as a woman gets to a certain age. It can, it can also be um, like medically induced menopause, mm-hmm. which is not as common, but there's so much opportunity there to basically help um, women who are struggling through changes and you know we have so many changes throughout the life cycle throughout the sexual life cycle even of a of our bodies and i feel like there's if you just think of it as in stages like there's a lot that can happen 
for puberty and for young girls. There's a lot that can happen for women to enjoy sex. There's a lot that we can do for menopause, uh, pregnancy, motherhood. I should say. I should I should have started with that because I just had a baby. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. Pregnancy. Pregnancy is like a whole area yeah. that I feel like is now kind of gaining traction yeah. to. And not just the birth, right? Because you know you've heard the the candy and a wrapper analogy of okay, women you know are just there and they're having the baby, and then once the baby's born, it's like the woman is the wrapper. You just toss her aside, and it's like, what about that whole experience of pregnancy? I mean, not just a vessel. Bonding and transition (laughs) experience of her own body going past that experience. And then afterwards, too. What happens afterwards? Yeah. But I think it's important. I'll just say one more thing about Mm -hmm. this, that even if there's, um, if there are founders with ideas or if there's investors that want to get involved, yes, there's like multiple um, areas that can be very financially incentivizing to become involved in, but there are true social impact needs that are still not being met Mm -hmm. where I think social impact investors are going to completely change the world because they will fund um, ideas that aren't necessarily the next billion dollar idea with um, like another reproductive product, but they're going to be the ones that are changing healthcare and changing um, a lot of unmet needs right now. Like I can think of mommy that just got um, funded and there's a big story behind it. She's changing um, what healthcare. What was the name of the same? It's called mommy. mommy. Yeah, it's spelled M O M M. No, it's it's different. It's like M A H M E E. I think we'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Later. So, anyways, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of founders that are that have ideas that have to do with social impact mm-hmm. um, that are now getting funded, and that's sort of this new trend, I would say. Um, but there's going to be so much value in companies like that that are helping the healthcare system and women and things like that. Well, well I, I, I would love to see more health products gain access to people who need them. It's, wonder, it's a wonderful story. I hope it continues to move that way. As we wrap up here, Rebecca, I know you're on the program as a panelist for our upcoming Women in Tech event in September. Um, can you preview for me a little bit about what you're going to talk about or what, what do you expect to be talking about? Yeah, I think we're still trying to work out what are like the hot topics that mm-hmm. we want to as a panel cover, but I yeah. definitely want to talk about the state of intimate care Okay, great. and yeah. the landscape right now. Yeah. Great. Well, we've got a great start from this podcast for anybody listening who wants to come and see that live here. Uh, and Nicola, what do you have coming up on the cal- calendar for FemTech? collective? Oh, so many things. But what I can think of right away is this conference that actually has been really instrumental in my evolution as a founder and by the same uh, network that organized the first Femtech event. It's called Serendipity. It's going to be here in San Francisco on September 27th. I'm organizing a few uh, Femtech-oriented events and panels for this conference. And it actually is like one of the really great uh, places to come and network within the Femtech industry because you have so many players and I'll be there. And so, yeah, September 27th, you can still get your tickets. Come be a part of the ecosystem. Right. Yeah. right. I went last year. It's amazing. <laughs> Great. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. Thank you again for sitting in. We'll see you back here, hopefully, at some of the upcoming Women in Tech events and look forward to talking to you then. Awesome. awesome. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to the Orange Silicon Valley BistroCast. I'm Brian Warmoth, and we're glad that you could be a part of the conversation. If you liked what you heard today, we hope we'll see you on Twitter, LinkedIn, Medium, and orangesv.com, where you'll find a link to subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Main Cable. 
on orangesv.com. You'll also find an updated calendar of upcoming events being held here live at Orange Silicon Valley with many of the same analysts and experts you hear on each episode of the Bistrocast. We'd love to see you in person. 